If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. What is the long-term effect of too much information? Information, information, I just need some information. I've been dying, I've been dying, is it lack of education? I've been reading, I've been reading without any transformation. I'm addicted, I'm addicted, is it overstimulation? Hey. Welcome to the Success Report. The Success Report. Hear ye, hear ye, come one, come all. You're listening to The Sixth Sense Report with Joel Nikoloff and Darnell Samuels. Did you ever have a fear of being homeless? Uh, uh, Not really. Um, I've thought about it. You thought uh, about running away? No, 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 not running away. (laughs) No, not running away, but just um, what would I do? What would Mm. I do to survive? Um, It's crossed my mind, but um, yeah, my heart definitely goes out to those who actually have to live that life. Yeah, no, it's, it's not easy. But yeah, man, um, we are going to talk about the alternate shelters that have been o- have opened up while on COVID. So yeah, and and it inter- it leads to an interesting uh, sort of conversation because of the response, right? I mean, in in general, there's a there's an article from this, uh, CBC that just talks about homeless people in tents in the parks and the the residents near those parks feeling unsafe um, from from these people being yeah, around. Because it, yeah, because so for the listeners who don't know, um, so well, of course, you know, well, because of COVID-19, uh, the shelters have to practice social distancing. So there are 30 new shelter locations that have opened up in the last six months um, within uh, the, the, the greater Toronto area. And so basically what you're having now is people from shelters are being put in residential nicer neighborhoods and being, and, you know, you know, mixing with them. And, and there's been a lot of pushback uh, from the residents of these areas. And they're saying not in my backyard, nimby nimbyism as we like to call it so um <laughs> so <laughs> i'd never heard that term yeah nim- until, like i've heard man. not in my backyard but i didn't know yeah, it was nimbyism. an isium <laughs> hey hey man don't be a nimby right uh, so um so we're gonna talk about nimbyism for the first half of the episode and then the latter half we're gonna talk about gentrification because those are two different um concepts as it relates to um location and finding a home so for example nimbyism is when uh somebody wants to move in the area and you're in your and you and you don't want them there hence not in my backyard and then well and and, and i mean it's it's not just like yeah no know, we'll get to that yeah fact. we'll get to that but yeah, that's just an but, overview yeah, um, yeah gentrification has to do with uh people being forced out because of the new people coming in yep so, uh, and the reason I was pushing back on your definition of nimbyism, because to some extent, it's it, it goes down to the simplest idea of of your neighbor changing or getting an exemption on how they use their property. That that also is like, well, no, not in my backyard, right? Like, no, you can't do that. You're going to affect my property value. Um. So, so you talked about people moving into the neighborhood, which is like you know, sort of, I think a different level, people might kind of get a little bit worried, but well, you know, (laughs) know what? sorry. And sorry, maybe I don't want to misrepresent what NIMBYism is. So there's, there's, it's, it's in a sense, yes, where where it's people, but also, also businesses and infrastructure where you can, Mm. um, where, where you as a community can say, Hey, look, we don't want Walmart. um, We don't, yeah. We don't want you to build a shelter in my backyard. 
Yeah. Or this or particular, we don't, or, or a strip Walmart, club, right? Walmart, like, a strip club, whatever um, it is, right? Yeah, yeah, a church, a mosque, we don't want it. Um so that's that's actually a thing. And and I mean there's you know, it's an interesting conversation around should that even be allowed? Right? Is that even appropriate? Um and what I mean by that is should the citizen is it and I only say it as like Again, I always look at the more fundamental question, right? Is this the best way forward? Um, and you know, there's a there's a a paper from I think it's 2000. I'm just scrolling to the front of it. Yeah, January 2000. What? Why are there NIMBYs? Uh, it's actually a really good article. It's kind of, I think it was a guy who was on like a zoning board, and and really he I I would argue he sort of misses the fun, more fundamental question, but he sort of speaks to you know, what's the cause, but he, and the reason I said, you know, the more fundamental question is how much influence should I have on my neighbor and how they use their property? Because clearly, you know, nimbyism or, or people who are saying not in my backyard feel very much entitled to uh, how the property or the property in their city is utilized. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, uh, there was a uh, reporting on on this issue from Global News, and we'll have the link in in our show notes. And so it talks about yes, the residents uh, near Toronto shelters upset with lack of city consultation. And so basically, the, the issue is this: the people are saying, "Hey, look, like, let us like we should have a say in you know where the shelters pop up." But the city is saying. Well, no, this isn't uh, this isn't negotiable. You don't have a right to tell us where to where to place the people because your property is your property, and whatever's not your property, you don't have a say over it. And so that way, the go- the um, the government who's advocating on behalf of the homeless is saying, ah, no, they're going to be in this hotel, or they're going to be in um, in this hotel next to your residence, or even share your residence. Who knows? Yeah, and, and I think the the safety, right? Because I mean that that global yeah yeah global <laughs> video yeah, sort of speaks crazy. to like yeah, hey, some of the the oh, people man. were like accosting other people, yeah. verbally abusing, right? So like, I think, and in my opinion, when you know when you're living in a your house and all of a sudden the government makes a change that now your neighborhood no longer feels safe, mm-hmm. or let's just say the government fails to uh, protect your property rights such that you don't feel safe. Arguably, that's the one proper role of government is to to prevent injustice from reigning, i.e. Basti- Frederick Bastiat, by protecting your property rights. Because arguably, every time, anytime an injustice occurs, it's because there's been a violation of, of property rights, including your person as a property. So, I think there's sort of a a little bit more of the not in my backyard argument that I really can appreciate when your argument is, I don't feel safe. And someone else outside of me or or someone has changed the circumstance or or abdicated, abdicated, uh, I can't say the word properly, whatever. Um, Abdicated? They've abdicated uh, abdicated their responsibility um, for protecting your property rights, right? So, well, well, hold on. Well, that's the thing. Because, um, yeah, in the video, uh, you know, everybody's saying, well, okay, well, I want to feel safe in my neighborhood. I no longer feel safe. So protecting, 
I mean, you step outside, you know, that's the chances you take, but they're not violating you in your home. Yeah, I mean, th- their argument is like, I used to be able to sit on the, you know, if they're in an apartment building, they used to be able to sit downstairs in front of their apartment and and it'd be peaceful. And yeah. now it's no longer peaceful and safe. Yeah. Um, but also, I'd, I'd like to add, so. um, it's funny because I was, I was watching the video and, um, you know, a lot of people will watch this and they'll be like, oh, and you see, you know, these old white ladies talking about like yo it's not safe anymore and you know this and this and that and then you could you you would you would say oh yeah you know this is white privilege here and this and that and then the next clip you have this black lady and she's like look man i paid my money to be safe i paid good money to live in this neighborhood and that's it and that's you know she's just like look man i paid good money for this to be safe and so the point i'm making is that uh it isn't and this is this is not a, a privilege issue um, I, I believe it is a, a property rights issue because it isn't just white people who own nice property. Believe it or not, uh, there's brown people and, and black people that own nice property and don't want no trouble. And so part of it is these people work hard uh, to buy places that they can feel comfortable in. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that, um, you know, living in a, a safe neighborhood when you have children is probably, you know, safe as well as you know other kids to play with are probably two of your biggest priorities uh when you're when you have young children um and or or children in general uh so you know i think if any of our listeners are kind of like oh whatever you can protect yourself well sometimes you're not just thinking about yourself right you're thinking about those others that you're not going to be around all the time to protect Mm -hmm. so Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And you want you want to be able to, you know, let your kids go out and ride their bike on the street or whatever the case may be. And and you know what? The issue isn't necessarily the homeless um, or that they're ex-cons. That, that really isn't necessarily the argument you're hearing. Oh, you have ex-cons living next to you, but you have those who are not mentally well. Mm. That yeah, was a concern. Yeah, I think, uh, I, I mean, obviously we don't want to diminish the fact that uh, the homeless and, and those that are, you know, in need are something that need, there, there's obviously, you know, we as a community have a responsibility and I think the listener would know how I think the responsibility should be handled, but we're, we're not trying to diminish that. Uh, I think we're just trying to, to, to steel man the argument for why they, you know, ju- can arguably justify or, or arguably have a have a strong position uh so i just thought to your point coming back to uh the mental health component of this yeah i mean i don't know about you have you ever dealt with someone who you just were like i have no idea what they're going to do next because they just they don't seem mentally stable oh yeah oh man well i I go to church oh yeah i go to church (laughs) at jarvis what do you mean (laughs) what about that knock at your door Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> well, yes, yeah, yes. In my little <laughs> residential neighborhood, but but mental health issues because like uh, my church is is next to the oldest um, men's shelter uh, in in Canada, and yeah. so and so we're right across the street from that shelter, and so um, you have a lot of. <laughs> I think people. my brother-in-law works at that shelter. Oh, yo, it's heavy over there, man. It's serious business. Um, I'll Google it so you guys can look it up and be like, oh. But yeah, so basically, the people from the shelter come over to uh, to my church a lot, or even not just my church, but you know, you see them on the street. If I go to Harvey's, I'm running into them. If I'm going to go to Tim Hortons, I'm running into them. So yeah, you know, the, the, their behavior is sporadic, as 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 anybody who who um, 
you know, who's, who's having serious mental health issues. And it is what it is. But again, I think, especially, you know, dealing with this corona, this period of corona and, and Black Lives Matter and fear, fear is a strong, is a strong motivator. As I have, I learned in this season of my life. And yeah, so people who are um, afraid of those who are not mentally well, or even just ex-convicts or whatever the case may be. Um, yeah, it's, it's a strong enough factor for you to to leave the area or even practice zoning. And I think this is the problem with uh, NIMBYism is that what these communities do, especially the richer communities that can afford to, is that they um, lobby the politicians for zoning laws for their um, communities that keep people out. And that is the heart of the problem with NIMBYism is that you don't own the property, but you can lobby for zoning laws that can keep people and infrastructures out. And, um, you know, just to, to make, again, I want to make sure we st- we let's let's steel man the argument for zoning. The simplest argument would be you don't want a you know steel shop next to your home residence, right? And so there's an aspect of you want to be able to sleep in your house in peace. And so you know good zoning laws make sure that you know businesses don't end up in a place that they're going to disrupt the residents. And you know, I uh, again. Is sort of the the steel man argument also would be you know the the government central planners thought uh, that that we would be better off if you sort of have you know the business sector you have residential sectors and then you have some you know let's call them mixed uh, right so you see some places where like the grocery stores on the bottom floor and then the apartment buildings above them um, that would be kind of mixed I know I'm oversimplifying it. But this is a very central planning approach, uh, and and so the zoning laws argument. I think there's there's some there's an a, a, an appropriate problem uh, that is being addressed, or uh, there's an appropriate concern that the society has that zoning laws tries to be the best solution for. I would say the critique of zoning laws is the the level of detail is absurd, right? To the point of like, you know, zoning law 45.6-1.A-B, like just just insane. Like if you've ever looked at a zoning law, you just have to start looking at the le- like the number of specificities. It's, it's not like residential here. And, and, and so this is where your point, right? So how does you know the wealthy protect? Well, they don't allow, uh, let's say, multifamily dwellings to be built in their neighborhood, right? So you you only have single residence properties. You can't build a you know quad quadplex or duplex because the zoning laws prevent it. And and so that's this is sort of the the counter or or sort of the the way that they achieve what you're talking about. So uh, hopefully I've done a little bit of justice to give zoning laws some context for the audience but what else uh, would you say the the zoning laws play into this or how else yeah no well it's just one of those facets where you know you look at just property rights and that people are trying to take over property that they don't own right and and that that was new to me as i was studying this i was kind of like oh wait a minute 
but I didn't know that this was a thing. Um, I know for me personally, like, yeah, I, I'm definitely, I would definitely be um, a NIMBY, but not to the point where um, I'm taking over property that I don't own. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I think people uh, do have a right to say, hey, look, um, as a community, even like, you know, I, you know, I think about, I think about Mike Bibby, uh, who used to play in the NBA. And, <laughs> and so he, it's crazy. I, I, we got to definitely put this in the show notes. So basically <laughs> he, he, he owns like um, a neighborhood almost. He owns a neighborhood okay. and his siblings and his family all live on the same block. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right so I, I love it yeah right yeah it's 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 like he's like oh across the street uh, that's my cousin my brother's over there my brother's over there my mom's over here um yeah you know and then he's like yeah and then you know the kids you know all of all of our cousins all the kids just be out in the street and you know you play with your cousins right there in the street and everybody can see everybody everybody has their own home and and, and when someone's visiting your neighbor they're already like family right like well, you've they already are got family. a sense yeah well but my point is like someone visiting my family oh okay i trust them right right so so but what you but now you know, now you're thinking about not in my backyard um, and NIMBYism and them saying, okay, well, we want to keep this, th this area safe and so forth. So I, I understand that. But again, th there's give and take with, with NIMBYism and what we're seeing with uh, the, the 30 new shelters and people's safety. Now, the flip side of the coin is gentrification, right? Mm -hmm. and, and this is um, the bad word in regards to uh, social justice ideology. And so basically gentrification, for those who don't know, gentrification is, so gentrification is a process of changing the character of a neighborhood through the influx of more affluent residents and businesses. It is a common and controversial topic in politics and in urban planning. Um, when I first heard about it, it was presented to me as revitalization, right? They're going to revitalize um, a bad neighborhood. And it sounds great, right? It's a political term, right? You're like, oh, that sounds great. But then you start to say, okay, wait, but what about the people um, who can't afford to live there anymore? Now, in, in, some, in some cases in our context, Joel, um, for people who are at Regent Park, which used to be um, a pretty rough neighborhood, Yep, has been cleaned up and the people have they, they basically have mixed housing so you have the people who own the actual property and the people who are renting so you're mixing the people and it isn't like okay we gotta cross the train tracks to get to the ghetto type thing mm -hmm. so so they're mixing the government housing with with the um normal housing and so you can't tell the difference where the hood is and where it's not so that, that's really awesome and the area looks really amazing new basketball courts soccer fields all that um chess tables it looks amazing now of course that's the positive of it but the heart of people's problem with gentrification is that you're basically displacing and pushing people out who were there first yeah and i mean i can you know i can understand someone who says i didn't have a choice i had to move and it, you know essentially being in a place where you're like i grew up where my kids are i wanted my kids kids to finish growing up in this neighborhood but now i can't stay here any longer and feeling you know powerless in that regard you know that is i i can i can appreciate that you know frustration and 
would I wouldn't want to be in that place and I don't want to wish that on anyone. The question becomes fundamentally like what are the causes? And and I think, you know, this is where people don't understand the downfall of zoning laws. Right? Because zoning laws are also by half of your city being zoned for a particular type of neighborhood, you're you're potentially limiting the supply of houses. So um, the reason, the best example of, of sort of like the counterpoint to all this, I have an article, I'll put it in the show notes page. It's Houston's lack of zoning laws will help it rebuild. So in the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey, so this was 2017, by not having zoning laws, it allows for a quicker change of their city and you get a little bit more eclectic. Uh, whereas what you've talked about with gentrification is much less, it's it's government sponsored, right? And this is where the problem, so the big problem I see with zoning laws is it becomes a barrier to entry to whether it's home renovations, whether it's uh, even just repurposing your house. So, the the issue is, or or sorry, the highlighting factor for me is the second biggest donor to government behind pharmaceutical is land developers. Why change in zoning laws? So, but sorry, how, the, how does how does that relate to gentrification? Um, going back to NIMBYism. So, um, part of the issue is that. Uh, so, I'll use. I'll try to use a simple example. If I have a property that is worth $100,000 in its current zoning laws. But if I could change the zoning law, that property might be worth $300,000. The person who has access to changing the zoning law is rent-seeking or they're using their government relationships. Rent-seeking? What do you mean rent-seeking? So, so rent seeking is the idea that uh, you lobby government in order to okay. Earn well, yeah, well, profit. well, you can see why that's misleading. Yes, I know. Re- yeah, okay. So, uh, I'll put this because link in the show. The person owns if the person owns. Yeah, the home, yeah, then, yeah. The term rent seeking is a a legacy economic term. Uh, there's a link. I'll put it in the show notes page. The best example. I uh, I did this on another show already too. So, the the they they use the term privilege seeking, but. Uh, it's a term rent seeking is used to describe people's lobbying of government to give them special privileges. Yeah, but so, what does that have to do with gentrification? When the property is worth a hundred thousand in the current purpose, meaning the current people who live there, and the value of the property could become three hundred thousand if I change the zoning law, the people who currently live there get screwed. And there's an incentive for someone to come along and change the neighborhood. And it's rather than the people who live there, you know, start to realize, hey, guess what? The value of my property has gone up. Um, maybe I could remortgage or take a second mortgage or, or take a mortgage and pay for the renovation. Yeah. Okay. Okay. No, I see what you're saying. I guess the way I'm looking at gentrification is in regards to a metropolitan inner city core um, government housing people that well, are renting versus like for example on my block you know I'm, I'm in brampton so everybody owns everybody owns their home here yeah um and the people who they are yeah, not to say there aren't people are renting but they already know what the deal is yeah they, they, they've got a relationship with the renter yeah. or the landlord yeah so that's so, so that's what i was saying it was, it was a bit um confusing so that's what i was saying like in so to gentrification. Uh, so so 
bring that along to, okay, so zoning laws make, the point I'm trying to demonstrate is that the zoning laws make things very restrictive. Those who have access to change the zoning laws have special privileges. So that's sort of part of the nature. The other aspect is the, you know, things like rent control that have a good intention, but they don't, the the problem is that they cause the landlord to say, well, I've got a, a thousand people lined up to pay 500 bucks a month. Why am I going to spend money to upgrade this property or even upkeep this property? I can't increase the rent and or I have to wait for this person to move out before I can increase the rent. And so they have no incentive to keep the person there. They only want to do the bare minimum to keep the person, the tenant there. So the the point I'm trying to also make is that because of the restrictive zoning laws, the government has to come in to then do the revitalization project because they didn't allow the the neighborhood to... Wait, hold on, hold on, wait. Well, sorry, I guess, sorry, not to cut you off, but I just wanted to make yeah, sure yeah. we're straight. So um, I always saw revitalization done by companies rather than the government. Well, and and I mean, again, goes back to like zoning, right? Government is deeply involved if zoning is, is restrictive because you can't revitalize something when it has a particular purpose. Again, go back to my example. Let's say every house in the neighborhood is a bungalow. It's a relatively you know medium to low income neighborhood because none of the houses are massive. But now the government comes in to change with the the developers who are going to to make the changes, right? So um, your your neighbor is the is now someone who is someone different, but they have changed. The zoning law has been done with the developer. Okay. Or sorry, the lo- zoning law has been changed with the developer. So well, as much as yeah, these companies come in these. Generally speaking, these companies are coming in with relationship with government, right? The government has at least the city government, maybe not federal or provincial or state or whatnot, but the city government has has recognized, hey, this is an area of our neighborhood that needs revitalization. Mm -hmm. Um, And and the city is deeply involved uh, with those projects. Now, the, again, the intention or the goal might be to improve. My point is that because of all of the restrictions they've put in place in the first place, you're having this shift in properties going from $100,000 in value to $300,000 in value because of the change in the law. And if the zoning law was very lax, these changes would be happening slowly over time. You would have a house here make a change. Maybe one slightly richer person moves in and you just have to start to have like what you described in your neighborhood, a mixed sort of, you know, or sorry, you were talking about Regent Park. You have this sort of mixed dynamic that nobody can tell. Well, that happens naturally when the zoning laws allow for individual houses to be changed. You know, let's say uh, someone tears down a house and builds a a fourplex. So now four people could live on the block, whereas maybe every other house on the street is a bungalow. Well, does that really change things significantly? No, but you, so you start to see small little changes, but the other side of this is that when the if if the change continues to be significant that the neighborhood becomes more valuable the property owner already reaps the value because they don't have to change the zoning law but when the zoning law becomes a hindrance the value gets 
given to the person who can change the zoning law. And this is where, again, I, I mean, I always look at things on a so much more fundamental level. And I know maybe some people are going to say, Joel, you're missing the point of, you know, gentrification. Maybe, but I'm saying <laughs> yeah, probably saying that. <laughs> but but my point is, I'm going back to the fundamentals of the environment that created the scenario that caused or or that created an incentive to gentrify a neighborhood, and and if we can, because so many times we look at the symptom and go, oh, the symptom's a problem. Okay, well, what caused the symptom? Okay, okay and and it's okay. too easy to just say, oh, well, people moved in and changed the neighborhood. Okay, well, so why did that? In your opinion, is gentrification a bad thing? Um, it is, again, I, I, my first thought is depends on how you're going to define it. If you're going to define it as, you know, people being displaced because the, the, the city or the, the location has sort of moved past them or, or, you know, someone has changed the okay, neighborhood. So, okay. It's a metropolitan context. Gentrification is a process of changing the, the character of a neighborhood through the influx of more affluent residents and businesses. So it's a bad thing for the people who are getting pushed out. 100%. Nah. And for those that get pushed out? Nah. Like, but again, I go, well, why are they getting pushed out? Because government is doing things. Nah. Right? Nah. Nah. <laughs> those, those two things I disagree with. That... <laughs> that government is doing things because I would say that the government was actually helping them and, uh, yeah. and letting them stay in subsidized housing and possibly um, finding them new ones. But the other thing is I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, I forgot what your first point was, but um, I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily. Um, so, I mean, is it a bad thing? If you're asking me, is it a moral? Is it a sin? That's a different question. I'm saying it's a bad thing that these type of scenarios occur. Gentrification. I, yes, because well, I, cause I would say that it's 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 a normal progression of cultural development. I would say it's a normal development when government is so restrictive in their zoning laws. Uh, no, I would. I, that's my point. My no, point is well, that no, what I'm saying is that it's a natural progression because Tyra and I saved up our money and we're looking for a place to live, and we found a lot that we can afford. And so we're going into a gentrified neighborhood to buy our first place. Okay, that's that's, that's normal. I I don't I don't see I don't see where where um what the problem is with that. So I and in that sense, I would say, you know, um, if I if I narrowed sort of it down, is is changing neighborhoods bad? No. Is is houses and property over time being revitalized a good thing yes that means that buildings won't fall down when people live in them like you know so there's yeah and, 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 and i have a place to go play basketball <laughs> right so like are there aspects of uh redevelopment that are good yes my point is that they happen abruptly in the scenarios that we call gentrification because of government. And in that sense, because of the government zoning laws, because of how the restrictive they are, because of multiple things that the government is, but is that, so deeply. So, because, and this is where, you know, rent control again, you know, I know, you know, probably rent control is a bit of a, a, a deeper issue that I'd have to unpack, you know, maybe even personally with a one-on-one -on -one conversation, but the point I'm trying to demonstrate no, is well, that well, hold on. I, I, I believe I believe rent control um, does more harm than good, and it makes the ghetto ghetto. Yeah, and 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 that's what this is where I'm saying rent control is an aspect of this conversation. Yeah, I, I right? believe that. 
So, so my point is that um, gentrification occurring is a is is a symptom of a bigger problem, which and is in the the amount of government regulation on housing. Which what, say what zoning regulation law. is zoning laws. Well, uh, I, I thought you were going to make the argument for um, for rent control rather than zoning laws. No, well, I mean it's it's I mean to some extent they they both play a factor in the same scenario, uh, right? Because I, I would say that rent control plays more of a factor in making the ghetto ghetto, and so that way, um, you know, the proper va- property value drops because the cost for living there um, doesn't add up for the price for what it costs to maintain the place. And well, so, and so the property value drops. And so now people are able to move in or even um, companies um, being able to come in and create infrastructure that basically prices the people out. That, that That's how I see it. Well, and, and, and to some extent, what you're saying though, is like the way that they get around the zone, the, the rent control ends up being by rezoning the property. Um, right, like uh, to some extent. So, for I, example, I say rezoning because, like, part of it is like if if a company is trying to, if a contracting company, a construction company is trying to get a permit to put up a condo. I don't understand how that's zoning. Um, because before they went there, the property had a different use, and they couldn't build a condo until the government changed the use of the of the land. So, like, but yeah, this, but, yeah, but that's not nimbyism. No, but but my point is, it's related to the issue, right? So, and and so this is where it's like it's you know again, what was the intention of zoning law? Okay, but the unintended consequence. So, is is the the deep level of regulation actually is so burdensome that people can't even comprehend the burden? Sorry, what burden? The bur- the the burden being you know so regulation. Generally speaking, if you think of it on a on a very high level, the regulation is to prevent, you know, it's sort of like the historical sense, the fence law idea, right? So to prevent someone from sinning, we have a fence law. To prevent some harm from occurring, we create this zoning law. So the example I gave earlier was that I don't want a mechanic to open up a shop in you know by tearing down his house and building a you know a a, a little warehouse in the middle of a residential neighborhood. And the way that we do that is by zoning laws. But again, that's why I said, go if you honestly go look at a zoning law, it will blow your mind the number of pages. It is like, it's not like, hey, zones, you know, it's not like they have five zones. And Sorry, hey, but is it bad for who though? Um, it's bad for anyone who can't get a zoning law changed, which is basically everyday people. But why it's only they, the wealthy. But, but yeah, but uh, I guess I'm, I'm thinking because I'm, I'm not wealthy because I'm just <laughs> thinking like, how does a zoning law? Yeah, technically, it'll, you're talking about zoning apart from NIMBYism. Uh, well, yes and no. I mean, they're, they're like as part of the well, zoning. What do you mean yes or no? It's just one or the other, man. Okay, because zoning, the way that zoning is approved creates NIMBYism's being empowered. Because I can go to my city hall meeting where the zoning law is going to get changed for Joe Schmo to build a slightly higher shed than was permitted. 
and well, say, not shed, not shed. no, but dude, this is the type of thing that zoning laws cause. Literally, they go to city council to get approved for the size of their shed because technically their shed exceeds the regulation. No, I'm not talking about shed. I mean, like, but like, I mean, like a condo. I know. I'm just or saying, like, but or this like is a the, Max Milk but, or but this, a 7 Eleven. The point was, if, or the point I'm trying to make is, if the regulations were as simple as like, hey, we have five different types of zones. In, in sort of in the line of what you're talking about and, you know, uh, commercial, re, you know, residential and mixed. And then, you know, sort of, let's say anything that's a really loud commercial, like manufacturing, right? If, if it was limited to that sort of sense of zoning, someone could argue, hey, this is rational. It helps protect people, make sure that they're not, you know, working beside a noisy fact or living beside a noisy factory. But my point is that, the the nimbyism the reason why someone can even say not in my backyard is because when walmart wants to come they have to get zoning approval i agree so they gotta go now like you know whether or not you want uh walmart in your town is a little bit more complicated but my point is that by going like by the fact that People go to city council to say, no, this guy can't do this. Not in my backyard. Like the not in my backyard happens in front of council for zoning law complaints. But sorry, well, how does this relate to gentrification? So in, in the gentrification scenario, my biggest point is that the reason you have abrupt changes is because of the government regulation. Zoning laws is like the primary means of the regulation, right? Rent control comes into that as well. But, but this is where the zoning law also is the fact that, so it's the other half of the city is where the rich people can live. The fact that I can't, as a developer, can't tear down a rich house and build four houses on the same property is also why gentrification occurs. Because it's a, it's a housing issue in, in terms of number of people being housed, density of population, all of these things that, that play a role. It's, it's like, but that's, that's, but that's natural demography in regards to how people flow towards. It would uh, be natural. But okay, let me ask you this. In a then. Houston scenario, that's why I shared the Houston or mentioned the Houston article okay, because so, it's the lack of zoning laws okay. helps it rebuild. Okay. Because so for the listener who who sees gentrification as a problem, is it a sin to be a gentrifier? So I think um, the to me, I look at the individual actors. If I can look, okay, so let's look at an individual actor, someone who wants to buy a property and uh, let's say change it, renovate it build it up. So they're they're the one moving into the neighborhood that is underprivileged or or you know uh, that needs revitalization as it's been called. Their motivation, I don't see anything in their motivations that I can judge as impure. Now, if they said, "Oh, there's people in this neighborhood that I hate and I just want to move in to to, you know, torture them." Okay, fine, but I don't think you're really the, those aren't really the people that that qualify in these scenarios or at least they're the you know, few and far between. What about the seller? Same thing. What are their motivations? Are they trying to, you know, if they have a tenant who's renting from them and they're like, I hate this person. I just want to get rid of them. I'm going to, you know, this is the, I'm going to tell them at the last possible second, I'm, you know, I'm going to basically treat them like garbage. Okay. Then I can, I can look at their motives or, or if I'm going to judge whether what they're doing is sinful, I got to look at their motives. I can't just look at an, I, I would say, 
let's say the actors within gentrification scenarios, their individual actions are amoral. It all to me, it all comes down to motives. Okay, because the argument is that gentrification, being a gentrifier, is a sin because you are basically um, taking over a place where somebody once stayed. Uh, so, like we see examples of this. There was a video. Um, Black Lives Matter was um, telling some white people to leave their homes and give it to black people um, because they were, you know, basically using their privilege and it's time to balance the books. And so they're in the wrong and living in a gentrified neighborhood where black people used to live. So they would be wrong for being gentrifiers. Well, and I think, um, again, I go back to look at the, like, if you're going to judge someone based on the color of their skin and some legacy stuff, well, to me, that's not really the, the appropriate standard for judging someone. So uh, I think um, that's why I said, like, is gentrification as a whole a bad thing? Yes, I think it's a bad thing because the abrupt change that occurs to me is is the is the symptom of a bigger problem. Uh, but but Joel, when you say abrupt, it, it sounds a bit arbitrary like abrupt sounds very relative as opposed to like what do you mean like the change happens in a day no or but i mean years, like two years five years uh, yeah i think of like a five-year time span but that's as not a, abrupt man <laughs> no but but i'm talking like okay so so the street that i live on right now has a lot of bungalows but over i've lived here for five years you have a couple renovations where you know some of them are no longer bungalows Right. And so I would say a slow transition where over 20 to 30 years what? is is natural. Nah. Meaning, like houses get torn down. I mean, obviously we're not, not talking here. About, well, not here in Brampton, buddy. Yeah, but you gotta remember like Brampton. Yeah, yeah. But you gotta remember like the age of your city is newer than Mississauga. Yeah, but sorry, my point is that like cause yeah, I all I'm saying is that you know, you're saying abrupt change, but like all that seems pretty relative, especially, you know, for the areas that we live in. Those things have change happens very, very quick in regards yeah. to how fast a condo can get put up, especially when we go downtown. You know, when you go downtown Toronto and you, you know, you turn around, you're like, oh, wait, what the heck? Where did this come from? Yeah. And, and so I guess my point, though, is that like if if you took a city or a block that was poor and literally uh, or let's say it was like three or four city blocks. And now all of a sudden, all the houses are gone and four condos are there. Mm-hmm. My point is that, one, the people who lived there before didn't get appropriately compensated because the value of selling their house was predominantly the land underneath it. Not because it arguably, I'm assuming, based on the scenario we're talking about, their houses would be considered teardowns. But- but, but so, sorry, but Joel, like, even like when I, when I look at this, it's crazy because so like where I live in, in, in Brampton, um, right? So they have these new houses being put up, but then you have like these old ratty homes that been there for years. And so like the, you know, you know, these people and they're not selling, of course, they're not going to sell their property because, you know, they're, you know, taking their last stand, but you know, Tyra and I always talk about it, but they're like, yeah, how much you want to bet? They have like their kids are probably thinking, you know, as soon as dad's dead, yeah, we're, we're cashing in on this property. Uh, so my point being is that um, for people who own their property, eventually that price goes up and eventually the people sell. That's my point. Eventually the people sell and they get they get what their property is worth. But 
and you said this to me before that if somebody's renting you're getting nothing and you, and you have to leave you don't own the place you have no right to say i i i need to be compensated even like uh, the idea of like that i mean I, i'll a shelter say, isn't mandatory well yeah but dude i mean if you if you're if your landlord knows what's good for them right like what depends on the scenario right if you're if you're selling your house and someone else is planning to move in technically the the dilemma is like as a as a as a landlord if you're sell if you're not selling a teardown, if you're selling a teardown, then yeah, your your tenant's basically going to get screwed because you know there's nothing they can yeah, do. Yeah, no, but the con the context, especially as it appeals to the hot button issue of of gentrification, it isn't people who own their property; it's people who are renting. So yeah, yeah, but my point is, I was about to. So the point I was trying to get to was, if you're in a property that that let's say somebody else is going to rent it. Or sorry, you, the landlord's going to sell it to someone else who's going to let's say renovate it and move in or whatnot. The landlord has an incentive if they want to sell faster to have no tenant. My parents were compensated two and a half months rent to move out within a month. So it's like, hey, you just gave me first and last at my next property to leave in a month. So I would say to some extent, yeah, is it is it. Uh, unfortunate that they're they're having to move out. Okay, fine. But you know, as a as a tenant, I mean, I, I would say yes. Yeah, some people are you know, and we can sort of get into the conversation around you know what can you do not to be a tenant. But some people are tenants because there's value in being a tenant. One of the values is that I can move at a month's notice, right? Like yeah. you know, there there's a there. It's not like. Being a, a a land or a you know property owner is you know all all benefits no negatives in, when you try to compare that be, with being a tenant you know to be honest I'm a tenant and I love it and for for a number of reasons and when I say I love it I mean yeah but but what about I'm, the people I'm, who are tenants and who are being forced out on the street for other people well, who have money and don't love it and don't well, love but being I, a tenant. And, and so like so, that's the problem right yeah, yeah it comes back to to property rights and people only um having property and and how they're they're using the property well and and this is where um you know the dilemma becomes well what is the cause right what what's the real like so for the individuals so i mean we focused we kind of went back and forth quite a bit on on zoning laws and all that stuff because you went back and forth i know i know i'm i'm a nerd i'm like i'm way into way too much into it i'm sure some of the listeners like oh my goodness just no 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 but just no you're fine yeah. So, I mean, but, but the point is, right. Like w- if we look at those individuals, you know, in their circumstances, what is the cause of them being in the place where they're having to rent? And, and, you know, I, I can't know the answer, right? Like some people they're, there's, you know, it's like they don't have any parents, like their whole family is, you know, let's say they've immigrated from another country and like, they're just barely surviving. Okay. Like those scenarios exist. And, and I mean, I would say that's, you know, for the people who are barely getting by, you know, from a society perspective, that's the role of charity. That's the role of fraternity. You know, there, there is a need for us to take care of people that are, you know, underprivileged of one capacity or another. Yeah. And, and that's why I'm looking at it from a perspective of renters and buyers and people who actually can afford to live somewhere and own the property because if they own the property then they would have a right to the property but if you don't own it and you're renting you don't you don't have a right or um or a stake on the property 
Well, and, and I would say, you know what, in Canada though, like, dude, you have way more rights as a tenant than you do as a mortgage holder. So as a tenant, it would take you four months to be kicked out for delinquent rent. As a mortgage holder, if you don't pay your mortgage within 45 days, the bank can sell your house. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. But, but in regards <laughs> so to my point is, yeah, but. But in terms of gentrification, like in terms of the the people living in their house, if you can't, if you like legit in terms of being kicked out, you have more rights as a tenant than you do as a property owner. Yeah. When it comes, when it, yeah, but I guess, but the argument people are making is that with gentrification for people who are renting, they're being put out. And so that's that's the bad thing that they're being pla- displaced and put somewhere else because sometimes it's not even they're able to get back into um mixed housing sometimes um they're pushed out further and hence why we have brampton today and brampton is the way it is um we have a lot of black people living in brampton now because most of those black people left the city and were able to get loans and and buy um buy homes out here yeah and and i mean you know the what i what i you know i don't want to like throw you know anyone under the bus when i make this comment but for someone at the lower level of the income scale i don't think it's appropriate to just expect to be able to buy wherever you want no i know no 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 i i don't i don't think that's the issue no but my because point is people like people who are being displaced that but see the heart of the gentrification issue was why people are so pissed off isn't that people are being removed from their government housing and then being able to go buy houses that 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 that's not the situation, right? So the the heart of the issue is that people are concerned that people are living in government housing and they are being displaced by people who who have the money to do that. That's that's the problem. Well, but I mean, at the end of the day, the government was the one who saw if it's government housing, it's the government who's changing the house from no longer be like for it to be sold, right? Like the government's the one who put them there in the first place. The Only the government can remove them if it's government housing. Uh, Well, well, unless unless they're moved to another area, and that's what people are concerned with. Oh, people have their yeah, whole livelihood in the area. So if, if you if you're living but that's in the government Park and now deciding post- that they need like yeah, right? but the government's yeah, the one. But, who's yeah, but government isn't wrong for doing that. There just isn't space for it. Well, and and you know, again, it's an. I mean, it's so it's the dilemma is 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 the government housing solution an effective solution? Well, would, well no, well, no, well, what do you mean by effective? <laughs> so again. Would 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 we be as a society, as a whole, as a collective? You know, when I say collective, I mean like human prosperity in the long run. Would we be better off without government housing, but private charity Whoa. handling these scenarios? <laughs> and okay, that's, I mean, okay, you could write a blog post about about <laughs> what what people should do to um, if they're not living in the hood anymore. No, but um, my point was just simply: Is government housing uh, the right solution? I'm asking the question because this is a consequence of the government solution. You're never going like when the government creates the solution at the whim of a politician. They can say, "Oh, we're going to do it differently," and you're stuck. You have no control. You have no power. Uh, okay, well, I don't know about you, but I love government housing. I grew up in government housing. It is crucial. <laughs> No, again, is, is, is the concept that government housing addresses important for society? Absolutely. 
My question is, is the government, is the way that government housing is currently done the way to do it for the best for human prosperity? Because the point I'm trying to get at is, wouldn't a solution that leads to home ownership, not by government, be better than government housing? Mm-hmm. But what does that look like? Um, a great question, right? Because you know, um, and and that's universal from everywhere, from Canada to the U.S. Um, our, the government housing system is is all the same. It's still fixed income based on where you're at in life. If you are unemployed, then it's all gravy. So but I mean, if you start to make more money, then you um, basically have to leave. Well, and this is where, yeah, and and this is the you know the term is welfare cliff. Right. So like, again, this is where the government housing solution becomes a problem because they did, they, they basically force you to say like, well, I can't afford to, to, to get the more expensive job because I lose my housing. So I'm going to keep working as the fry cook at McDonald's instead of taking the manager position. Cause now I lose my housing. Mm-hmm. Right. Again, my point is that like, we just, we don't look at the whole picture of a government solution and sort of ask the question, is this the way to do it? Right. So let me, you know, the one thing I did want to say gentrification, right. You talk about people being pushed out. Well, one of the, the, there's a concept within sort of the, uh, let's say real estate wealth building approach of the term called house hacking. And this is where I would say to any of our young listeners, maybe downtown Toronto is not the place to try to do this, but you know, when you Let's say you can barely afford a mortgage. Well, one of the, th- the way to do that would be this concept of house hacking would be, you know, there's different degrees to this. Someone who's like me, well, let's say I would buy a house and I put a basement apartment in it, it is an example of house hacking. I'm sort of creating my, I'm using my house to create income to help pay the mortgage. The, the extreme example of house hacking would be like, hey, I'm going to go to school somewhere. I'm going to buy a house and have all my roommates basically give all them all the best rooms. I'll take the worst room possible. And now they're all paying the mortgage. Okay. And sorry, I'm living sorry, for free. Sorry, what does this have to do with uh, gentrification? Uh, well, your point was about renters. So own the house. I'm talking about other ways to own the house, right? So people sort of look at, well, I need to make X dollars in order to, to own the house. Well, if you can go to the bank with a business plan to demonstrate I'm buying a house in you know, a na- uh, uh, basically across the street from my school. Here are the four people who are going to live with me already. Uh, they're, you know, my roommates from whatever year. And and now you set up basically a school off campus residence. Yeah. You know, you potentially, you're going to have more income than yeah. your rent, your mortgage. But, you know, Joel, in my blog post, I did um, Black Love, White Lies. And I talked about the three types of people within each um, ethnic group, the achiever, non-achiever, and the deviant. And my point is that if you're an achiever, uh, a person delayed gratification, a person who works hard, delayed gratification, and versus the person who's a non-achiever who um, instant gratification and doesn't really work hard, and then the deviant who disobeys laws and doesn't want to work hard. But if you are an achiever and you're in government housing, you won't be there for long and you'll necessarily end up turning into a gentrifier. A person who is living in government housing, whether they be deviant or a non-achiever, one of the things the non-achiever is lacking is financial literacy to be able to go to the bank, get a loan, and then have the foresight to say, okay, you know what? I'm going to buy a house out of Waterloo and rent it out to those college kids. Um, I I, I really think that there's a divide. There's a reason why um, a person is a gentrifier. um, And there's a reason why somebody is um, in the hood. 
they're they're in the hood for a reason and they can't get out nor do they want to get out um for well and, and i mean i would say wanting to get out you know sometimes there's uh you know the one thought that i have is you know in economics we use the term of moral hazard right have moral hazard being uh the idea that you you incentivize a more a moral hazard meaning you incentivize bad behavior right so um are you creating a scenario where the person who does makes the mistake, let's say an intentional mistake, right? So they're not punished for their mistakes. And so now there's no consequence for making that mistake. You've created a moral hazard because people don't have to bear the consequences. And so you've essentially incentivized people to be uh, deviants or you incentivize them to be. Right. Um, and, now, and, and my point is just that it's not necessarily that, you know, sometimes some people want to leave the block. They want to leave. But because of the lack of financial literacy and the the skills of delayed gratification and, and hard work, um, they're not able to leave. And my point is just that you're stuck being the person who is being removed from your home versus the person who had foresight to finish school, get married, not have kids, save money, pay down debt, right? Um, invest well. And be able to afford a nice condo within the city. And my point is that, yeah, like that's what you were saying about has, house hacking. That's great. But that's not for the people who are being displaced. That's what I'm saying. So let me ask you this. What's your two cents on the issue? I think um, there's, you know, if we look at both gentrification and, you know, NIMBYs, I, I think there are fundamental issues that, that we don't ask questions about. Uh, we focus on the symptoms being, you know, people not wanting the the homeless and, and mental health issues in their neighborhood. The, we focus on the people displaced and we sort of look at those and kind of go, okay, there's a, we see, you know, a symptom and we sort of look at the symptom and look for an individual direct cause and we're sort of done with the problem. I think, you know, again, maybe I'm, people will say I'm probably too critical of government, um, but I think people are too trusting. They'll say that? <laughs> You know, people are probably a little bit too trusting, too willing to just give the government the benefit of the doubt because their intentions might be good. But the question becomes, you know, for me, the two cents is when you have issues like this, it's important to understand the entire landscape that this situation is occurring in, because if you misidentify the cause, none of your solutions will actually create change. So, you know, on the six cents makes change bandwagon, you know, you have to understand the the underlying situation. You have to understand and determine cause and effect properly if you really want to address the cause. Because in my opinion, addressing the cause is the only way that you ever actually make change. What about you? What's your your two cents on this uh, this issue? Well, for me, the way I look at it is that private ownership of property is a blessing. So to say it's evil, rather opting for like a communism, a communism where no one owns anything, but everyone owns everything is a sin. So God gave all people a command in Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 28 to use his creation to the best of their ability. This is why we, this is why he gave us the eighth commandment. Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, thou shalt not steal, which implies we all have property in some form or fashion. So theologically speaking, I'm saying that 
Is taxation is theft? I'm just kidding. No, 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 no. I, no what, I, what I'm what I'm saying theo, um, theologically speaking is that stewardship is a moral responsibility. Economically speaking, economics is the science of making choices, and we all know in theory and in practice that some people make foolish decisions <laughs> concerning their property. Now, some thrive and some dive. Uh, so, when it comes to gentrification, as the great Joel Jeezy once said, the issue isn't that renters um, have to leave their property, but that they don't own their property. So as a result of um, densification, where um, a lot of people are moving into the area and development, they have to leave. So now as it relates to um, the gentrifier, it shouldn't be a sin to be a good steward. So the um, Adam Hengels mm. of mm -hmm. um, market urban urbanism, he said it this way, I mean, I quote, the reason people gentrify is not to disrupt ethnic or economically challenged neighborhoods. It is likely because they have been priced out of the neighborhood uh, they desire. So like I said prior, it's basic economics and divine providence, densification and development. Now, now, when we look at, as it relates to NIMBYs, right? Not in my backyard, people. It's a rational response uh, to the risk of home ownership. But if you don't own the property of the surrounding area, um, that's unfair to lobby politicians to zone the area of the neighborhood, especially if the government is lobbying on behalf of um, those less fortunate. And now finally, creation began in a garden and ends in a city. So for me, I look forward to the new heavens and new earth uh, where the ultimate judge will have, will grant everybody their own lot. Yet everyone will be satisfied because they'll have an unlimited amount of God. Mm, that's good, bro. That's really good. Let us know I what think, you guys think. Yeah, give us your two cents. Hit us up at Six Cents Report. At Facebook. Gmail. Gmail.com. And, and, and on Twitter, on Twitter, man. You know, yeah. I love Twitter. Twitter is um is where all where is where all the action happens. So if you're not on Twitter, um, we don't usually do this, but I, I would convince you uh to get on Twitter. Get off of Instagram, get off of Facebook, <laughs> get on Twitter <laughs> and follow us. That that's where all the action is. Um uh, that's the cesspool of uh conversation. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a I, I enjoy personally I enjoy um I've enjoyed my stay. <laughs> um, on, on Twitter. Um, and that's where me and Joel get, get most of our action. So um, if you want to continue to build with us on social media, um, the weapon of choice, I don't know, Joel, if you would say the weapon of choice, weapon of choice for these kind of things is definitely Twitter. Yeah. I mean, I'm getting more and more fed up with, with social media in general, but yeah, no, I mean, my weapon of choice is conversation. I like to, I like to really understand other people. Uh, so whatever method per, you know, coffee might be the best but in general uh whatever method i can you know ask questions to challenge other people's thoughts so that it's so that i can understand really why they think what they think yeah um so let's know so. your two cents guys uh thank you for your support uh continue to subscribe yes we have a lot of people who are listening but they're not subscribed so subscribe please. comment you know share give us a uh, review yeah that too please <laughs> <laughs> oh, on that note, six cents makes change. But you heard me? Does that make sense?